We read in Nehemiah chapter 8 that Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, this morning, for something different, I'm going to ask that we do one of these things, that we stand together and read the Word of God. And I'm going to leave it as a challenge for Steve that uh, he help us apply the other elements of this passage uh, at some time in the future. So please stand. Yeah, we'll read together if, uh, starting uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother, who is the famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to, uh, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Thank you. Have a seat. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to understand your word better. Lord, that I would be able to communicate it well, that people would be able to understand, and that our lives would be able to apply these truths. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's my practice the week before Steve's going to preach on a passage or whoever's uh, going to preach that I, I try to read that passage in advance. A lot of times I find myself saying, boy, I'm glad I don't have to preach on that one. Uh, but to Steve's credit, week after week I come and, and Steve finds a lot of insight. Well, when I first read this passage today, I thought the same thing, but I'm pleased that the Word of God is so deep and rich, and I, uh, I feel there's a lot of practical application, and I hope you'll agree with that as well. Uh, it's common for uh, 
musicians and artists today to support a cause, a charity. They promote them at their con concerts because that's, they're dear to that artist's heart. Jerry Lewis is known for supporting muscular dystrophy. And I'm showing my age because a lot of young people don't even know who Jerry Lewis is now. Uh, but fortunately, they can Google that. Uh, Willie Nelson is noted for his support of farm aid, amongst other liberal causes that, uh, that he champions. Uh, Compassion International is sponsored, uh, supported by Casting Crowns, Mercy Me, and Hillsong United. Well, Paul started the trend 2,000 years ago. He had two causes. His first was to share the gospel with the Gentiles, but his second purpose was to collect money and support the believers in Jerusalem. Um, I drop back and just to, to look at the map to give context to the passage that we're going to talk about today. On the right-hand side, of course, is Jerusalem. On the left-hand side, the two dots that are together is Corinth, which is located in the Roman province of Achaia that we just read about. North of that, is the, the dot in the upper left-hand corner is Macedonia, and we'll be talking about the churches of Macedonia today. And then the one that's more or less in the middle is Corinth, where Paul is writing this. Paul was converted to the Lord at age 28. Eleven years later, he took his first missionary journey, and during that time, there was a famine going on in uh, Jerusalem. That famine was doubly problematic for the, the believers in Jerusalem, one, because of the famine, but two, because of the persecution that they were receiving uh, from the Jews at that time. And I believe Paul's compassion for these Christians in Jerusalem was even greater because of the persecution that he had formerly inflicted upon them. Age 41, two years later, Paul returned from his first missionary journey and brought with him relief to the brothers living in Judea. Three years later, Paul went up to the Jerusalem council and appeared before Peter, uh, John, and uh, James. Titus was with him at that time, and the purpose of that meeting was doctrinal. They were determining, should Gentiles have to be circumcised? Well, it was determined that they did not. But another important thing we're told about at the conclusion uh, in Galatians 2.10 was that the brothers asked Paul to remember the poor. And Paul said, that's the very thing I'm eager to do. That same year, Paul left on a second missionary journey to Corinth, well, included his visit to Corinth. And at that time, he first introduced the idea of an offering for Jerusalem to the Corinthian people. At age 47, Paul took his third missionary journey. That's when Paul wrote the four letters that Steve mentioned, uh, to, four letters to the Corinthians that Steve mentioned two weeks ago. And finally, eight years after the Jerusalem Council, Paul returned to Jerusalem with the offering. He had completed the mission. He had remembered the poor. So today, today's passage is going to deal with both the team and the process that Paul used to do this collection in Jerusalem. So the first thing, every good team, the essential element of the team is to have a good coach. And Paul is that coach of this team. You know, we read a lot about Paul's life in the book of Acts. We know about his teaching from the epistles he's written. But I've never heard anybody speak about Paul's leadership qualities. And we see some elements of that in this passage as well as uh, some of the prior week's passages that I'll drop back to as well. We're fortunate here at Mission View to have at least five people I know of that are coaches and what they're doing to instill quality and character into young people's lives. That's what Paul was doing as well. The first element of a great coach is they have vision and they instill passion in their people. 
Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, Paul's vision was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to collect for the poor in Jerusalem. Vision without followers is essentially worthless, or at the best, very limited. John Maxwell is a noted uh, author on leadership that's written over 30 books, has a saying, he that thinks he leadeth, but having no one following, is merely taking a walk. We're fortunate in our community. We, uh, well, for years, <clears throat> we've driven down Route 77, and there's an old stadium on the right-hand side, and a little museum that's called the Football Hall of Fame. We've always just kind of taken it for granted, and nobody's really thought about its potential. But recently, they hired a man called David Baker, who I understand is a believer. And David came with a, uh, with a vision. He saw this facility as being one of the most underutilized assets in Stark County, if, if not the country. And his vision was to raise $500 million to renovate the stadium, to build a new hotel, to build other amenities there, and make this an attraction that would attract hundreds of thousands of people every year. We laughed. But Vernon Brewer, the president and founder of World Vision, of World Health, excuse me, says if people don't laugh at your vision, it's not big enough. Well, drive down I-77 today and you see that vision being fulfilled. Uh, they've raised $10 million for the renovation of the stadium. They've raised $50 million for the naming rights for that uh, uh, stadium as well. There's another $450 million yet to go. But it's estimated that this uh, new complex is going to raise over $1 billion for Stark County in revenue over the next 10 years. You know, another example of good leadership was the Cleveland Indians this year. Tito Francona was voted the American League Manager of the Year, and rightly so. Without him, this team was just an average team. He made the right moves at the right time, and uh, because of that, they made it to Game 7 of the World Series, even to extra innings. Yes, they lost, but they did it without two of their three best pitchers and without the best, uh, their best, <laughs> without their best outfielder. Anna appreciates that. She's a big Indians fan. <laughs> so the second element of good coaching is encouraging. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace, act of grace also. Paul used the principle of momentum here. He identified five things that the Corinthians were doing well and saying, you know, you did those five well. You can do one more well. Excel in this act of grace. In verse 24, he said, give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. You know, we know that first impressions are important and first impressions are hard to overcome. And the Corinthians did not make a very good first impression. But it's a classic coaching technique to to challenge your players to prove it, to go out and be better. But Paul would not have put his neck on the line if it weren't for the third element of good coaches. He was confident in them. He said, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Coaches love to celebrate victories with their team. And this team was a complete change from the ragtag uh, group of believers that Paul started out with. There's evidence that the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. People tend to live up to their expectations. Parents that expect their, their children to achieve usually have children that achieve. Parents that expect their children to fail tend to have children that, that don't succeed. So Paul believed in the Corinthians even after all of their failures. 
Finally, Paul respected, or they respected Paul. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Even after Paul, Paul had caused them all that pain, you know, coaches are known for conditioning their teams. It puts the players through temporary pain, but it's really for their ultimate good and what's what leads to team victories. It builds stamina and strength. It also builds, coaches are known for building character and their players respect them for it. In ninth grade, I had a coach named Bill Nutt for both football and for basketball. Some of you know who I'm talking about. It was our first experience of what uh, Marine uh, boot camp might be look like <clears throat> with, our, with our drill sergeant. He put us through a lot of pain. We hated him at times. We dreaded him at times. We feared him. But he formed us into a team, and he made us successful. And when we were all done, we looked back, and everybody respected Coach Nutt. I'm better for the coaches I played for, and the Corinthians were better because of, because of Paul. This is the second time Paul rejoices in their victory. But great coaches and good teams have good players. Uh, and the better the players, the better the coaches. The, the coaches will tell you the better that they are. So who was Paul's team? Well, first was Titus. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Titus was Paul's star player. We probably, you probably don't know much about him, but we can learn more about him in this passage. First of all, we know that Paul shared Paul's, Titus shared Paul's vision. Not of his own, God put that in Titus's heart. It was a deep love that came from God, this, the same love that God has for his people, God put into Titus's heart. We talk about an infectious laugh. Paul and Titus had an infectious love for people. The word zeal is used a lot in, the, in this, uh, these chapters. It's a strong feeling of interest or enthusiasm that makes someone very eager or determined to do something. It's implied of Titus here. And we notice that Titus possessed true conviction in his heart and not just his mind. It led him to action. The second thing we learned about Titus is that he had earnestness. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. The word earnest is used seven times in chapter seven and eight. It's a serious intention, purpose, or effort, showing depth and sincerity of feeling. We talk about an earnest engagement or a zealous pursuit. And it's indicative of Titus's severe, uh, sincere and intense conviction. He had passion. He accepted Paul's appeal, and he went on his own initiative. The first time Titus went, Paul asked him to go. This time, Titus is going uh, of his own accord, and it's proof that Paul's vision had been transferred. He didn't have to tell, to tell Titus what to do. Third, we see that Titus was a comforter. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God knows pain because he sent his incarnate son. And God works through human agents to deal with pain. Even Paul, we see in this verse, needed comfort. His human agent was Titus. And Titus was sent to the Corinthians to do the same thing. Finally, <clears throat> Paul refers to Titus as his partner and fellow worker. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. 
Titus had already dealt with difficult problems encountered in Corinth. He delivered the letter we know as 1 Corinthians. He had, at that time, had initiated an offering that is being discussed, and he delivered the painful letter. Basketball coaches rely on point guards to be their floor generals. They're on the sidelines, but it takes somebody on the floor. In 1980, I showed up to Duke University as a freshman. In that same year, another guy showed up for the first time. We couldn't pronounce his last name, but uh, we just called him Coach K. And for the next year, we, next four years, we bonded together in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, I was a Cameron crazy. And Coach K even called me a sixth man. Well, collectively, at least, he, uh, he did that. And I was fortunate to sit from me to you away from Michael Jordan and other players who would become stars in the NBA. But uh, how Coach K came to be hired was a Duke athletic director knew Bobby Knight. And Bobby Knight's point guard when he coached at uh, West Point was Coach K, or Mike Krzyzewski as he was known at that time. After he graduated, he became an assistant coach uh, for Coach K. And when and Bobby Knight moved to Indiana, Coach K became the head coach at Army. So the athletic director asked Coach Knight if he knew anybody who would be a good coach, and he said, yeah, I know somebody. I think he's going to be pretty good someday. Well, five, years five national championships later, Coach K has proven himself that way. But the hallmark of Coach K's teams are having a good point guard. At least five of his former point guards have gone on to become coaches. Titus was Paul's point man, and, and Paul relied on him heavily. So who else was on the team? <clears throat> well, we're told that there was the brother who is famous. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. For somebody famous, we don't know who he was. How would you like that? There you are. For all eternity, you're just going to be mentioned as a purpose who is famous. But this brother's reward will be in heaven. Somehow he was the Billy Graham of, the, of his day. He was doing, they were doing more than just preparing an offering. They were going to minister to the Gentiles and to teach and instruct them as well. But we know he's appointed by the churches to travel with Paul, or to travel with Titus because he was respected and trustworthy. He was an unbiased brother who added credibility to protect against false accusations regarding the handling of money. There was also the brother who was tested and with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now is more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. He was often tested. How do you like being tested? How do you like being tested often? often? James 1 says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Our character isn't really known until it's tested. And this brother was tested many times. Character is going to be important as we talk about the process in a moment. But every time he was found earnest, sincerely zealous. And he, now he's more earnest than ever. Why? Because of his great confidence in the Corinthians. Their obedience fueled his zeal. So, so the brothers collectively are, are messengers of the churches, not a church but the churches from Macedonia, working together. If anybody could have worked alone, it, could, it would have been Paul, but he chose to work under the authority of the church and be accountable to them. 
Next, we'll look at how they performed as a team. The first element was planning and ongoing communication that built momentum. Now, it's superfluous for me to write you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred most of them up. Also, that Paul thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. I've learned about leadership that you can't over-communicate. I used to be frustrated when I would uh, tell something to our employees and one year later they didn't remember or they'd forgotten it. It was naive of me. Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Advantage regarding uh, creating organizational health. In it, he talks about four disciplines. First, build a cohesive leadership team. Second, create clarity. Third, over-communicate clarity. Fourth, reinforce clarity. It sounds like Paul read the book. Build a cohesive leadership team, create clarity, over-communicate clarity, and reinforce clarity. This collection had been in process for years. It was not a one-time emotional appeal. Verse 1 says, superfluous. It's not a, use we word a word we use much today. It's even hard for me to say. But it's exceeding what is sufficient or necessary. It's extra. It's not needed. Paul mentioned it over and over, of the collection over and over. So this is a repeat for him. Verse 2 tells us that it's been ready since last year. They, Paul has passed on his vision to them. And in verse 3, we're told it's not uh, their final offering at this time. Adam reported last week about our offering for IBM with Tajikistan. You know, we talked about that for weeks, if not more, uh, beforehand. And we thank God and we thank you uh, for that successful offering that we had there. Um, we discussed it for several weeks. Paul had been talking to the Corinthians about this for over a year. The second thing Paul had was trust. <clears throat> we take this course of action, this course, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered for us, by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Paul's character is at stake. It's important that he not be liable for even the slightest sus suspicion of misappropriation of the money. He had to send trustworthy messengers to administer this offering in a trustworthy way. The fact that uh, Titus was Paul's partner was actually a liability in this case because people thought that Titus might be representing Paul rather than being independent. So two more brothers were appointed by the churches to go with them to establish their independence. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you have accredited by letter to carry out your gift to Jerusalem. His integrity was above reproach. They were collecting cash. How could the donors be sure uh, that everything would be above board and that this money wouldn't just simply go to line Paul's pockets? Imagine the precautions Mission View would have to take if we raised $500,000 in cash. You guys would want to know that it's being handled right. So Paul did it in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. 
Usually those two, oftentimes, at least were in conflict for Paul. Paul was doing what was right in the Lord's sight, but he was questioned by man. Here he wanted to make sure that he was not only doing it right before the Lord, but that he was also doing it right before man so that there would be no uh, questions about his integrity. He took additional precautions. <clears throat> Paul's reputation had already been called into question several times throughout Corinthians. Later on in 2 Corinthians 12, we'll learn that Paul, Paul says, I did not did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? And early in chapter 7, Paul had said, we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, and we have taken advantage of no one. Note that Paul never directly handled the money. The same is true here at Mission View. We take precautions that this pastoral staff does not see the money, does not touch the money. They know if people give, but they don't know how much anybody gives. That's a precaution we, we do to protect, uh, protect their integrity. The pastor of our, uh, Butch personally, the pastor of our sending church, Maranatha, said that they're looking to establish relationships with like-minded ministries in inner city churches. But the, problem they, the biggest problem they encounter is the integrity of leadership with regards to the handling of money. And Maranatha refuses to uh, participate if they're not handling money in a good way. Third, Paul mentions his focus on the goal. As we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. They're administering an act of grace. That's what Paul calls the offering. It's an outward expression of the inward reality of what God has done in their lives first. Woody Hayes, the legendary coach of Ohio State football, had, uh, gave a commencement speech in 1986, one year before he died. In it he said, you can never pay back, so you should always try to pay forward. And Ohio State has used that to, uh, to build a, a lot of uh, charity on their part. You know. What's past, we can't go back and repay those people that have built into our lives. What we, can, what, what we can do is build into the lives of others going forward. This is how the Corinthians were able to respond to God's grace in their lives. You know, it's difficult to convince believers to give, and it's even more so when you're asking them to give someplace where there's cultural differences. It was unnatural for the Gentiles in Corinth to give to the Jews who were in uh, Jerusalem. It's unnatural for us today to support the Muslims in Iraq and Syria who are in refugee camps, but that's what we're called to do. That's what Christ does for us. And that's how we glorify the Lord himself. Whenever we reflect back the generosity that God has showed us, we reflect God's glory to man. We are his human agents. We're on here on earth to glorify him. What other reason do we need? Well, Paul does give one more, and that's to show the goodwill of Paul's team. The more that Paul can build up credibility in his ministry, the more credibility his, men, his uh, message has, and vice versa. And it becomes a synergistic cycle for Paul. Their giving will also support Paul's boast, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready, as I said you would be, 
Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. It proves their love before the churches. I question the use of Paul's use of the word boast, but he does it 22 times in the New Testament and five times in chapter seven through nine. What does he boast in? Well, Romans five tells us he boasts in the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians one, he permits us to boast in the Lord too. Let no one who boasts boast. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In Galatians six, he boasts in the cross. He also boasts of his heritage to defend his uh, apostleship. In 2 Corinthians 11, he boasts of his weaknesses and his sufferings because it exalts Christ. And he boasts of the Corinthians uh, two other times aside from this passage. In, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you and the Lord. In uh, chapter 7, Paul boasts to Titus about the Corinthians, and they proved him right. Now in chapter 9, Paul boasts to the Macedonians about the Corinthians. Verse 2 tells us the Corinthian zeal was a motivation to the Macedonians. But just in case, Paul is sending the two brothers so that they would be ready, and his boasting would not be in vain. Paul focused on this uh, being a willing gift. Verse 5 tells us, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. That's his final goal, that it not be an exaction. What does that mean? Well, an exaction is the act of demanding something from someone, especially a, pay, especially a payment or service. The NIV translates it, not grudgingly given. It can also be translated as a grudging obligation. The message says, I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. What a contrast to what we so often see today. There's emotional appeals that call for us to give now. There's some churches that pass around the offering plate a second time because they feel they can shame you into giving more. No, if you see that admission view, head for the doors. Uh, Butch personally, again of Maranatha, uh, often said, if you feel you're being forced to give, don't, don't give. We don't need it from you. The Lord will provide from his people giving willingly. Any other way does not honor him. So in application, we are, a are we a team? Last week's message and next week's message will talk about individual generosity. As I mentioned earlier, God works through human agents. That is us. Verse 2 tells us that the Corinthians were eager to help. They were incarnational agents of the church. In this week's passage, we learned that the generosity is even more powerful when collective uh, among our church. Just like the Corinthian church, God works through church leadership that empowers people rising up to positions of responsibility, which are critical to advance our ministry. What can Mission View do to administer an act of grace and pay forward? What creates even more synergy is when churches bind together to minister together. Too many churches focus on their name, their people, and their finances. No, it's all God's. 
We need to partner with other ministries outside these walls. That's where the ministry is. Do we have a mission? Well, it's not coincidental that our name is Mission View. I've lived in North Canton essentially all my life, and I drive by churches, and I look at them, and I don't know a single soul has ever attended there or a thing they've ever done. I pray that that would never be said of Mission View. This week, Steve was contacted by the mayor of North Canton to help out with a homeless family, and I'm happy to report that he was able to help them. <clears throat> Why did the mayor call Steve in Mission View first? Because he knew we we're people of action. Let's continue to be, to be those people. Strive to remain focused on building our, ourselves up in intimacy with God, community with others, and that'll lead us to have influence in our world. Have you heard that before? We're over-communicating. By joining together, we can, reach, we can support business as mission and reach Muslims in Tajikistan. In January, I'm planning to travel to Guatemala with World Help for the purpose of investigating our church starting a uh, village transformation project where we would build water wells, school buildings, church facilities, and we can support. Stay tuned. Uh, plan to hear more in 2017. Are we stewards of what God's entrusted to us? Do we really believe everything's on loan from God? Well, I know I was stressed when the market collapsed in 2008. I, I just sense God saying to me, though, why are you worried about that if it's my money? I turned it over to him to worry about. If it's his money and he was taking the hit, I didn't have to worry about it. God has blessed the, the business that my brother Keith and I own. And contrary to what some churches teach, God does not really care if I have more. The parable of the talents teaches us that he cares about if we're faithful with what he's given us. I'm continuing to learn that money is there to bless others. God blessed the nation of Israel in order to be a blessing to others. But this tragic event or story of the Old Testament is that every time God blessed them, they focused inward. God had to discipline them and uh, bring them back to their senses. Let's not be like the nation of Israel. Finally, do we have a plan for giving? <clears throat> have you considered what you give to Mission View Church? The local church should be the priority, and we thank God for the people and how you have provided for us. Have you considered if you can give a tithe or 10%? Have you planned? Have you considered if you can give more than 10% and live on less? I'm being challenged in this area. And finally, what are you living for? Are you following their passion? This past summer, Steve preached a message from uh, the book Counterculture. We just encourage you to be passionate about something, whether it's the poor, whether it's widows, whether it's orphans, just what that might be. Just encourage you to pursue that passion. So there we are. We're told in Acts 20 that Paul delivered the offering. We don't know any of the specifics how the offering blessed that church in particular in Jerusalem. But what we do know was the faith and obedience of churches in Achaia and Macedonia set an example that we still follow this day. Let's be faithful people and the church that stewards well the resources that God's entrusted to us and perpetuate the mission and pay it forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would be people who would be pleasing in your sight. 
Lord, and as you blessed us, that we would be a blessing to you. Lord, that you might be glorified, you might be exalted through our lives and through this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.